All right, welcome to Venue Virtual. We're so glad that you've joined us today. This is the second part of a series I've called The New Norm about the life and times of Norm. No, of Gideon. Super funny. The, I'm just making sure that the crowd mics are working here. Uh, we're all recording this in a studio. I want you to remember what church feels like. And so we're all socially distanced here, of course, but we at least are, get to see each other a little bit, which is kind of nice. It's kind of therapeutic, I think. Um, this sermon I've called Drinking Problems from the life and times of Gideon. And all the guys looked at their wives and are like, is he talking about me? It's funny. Um, here's the thing. We were driving, uh, Pastor Aaron and I were driving in a car. Um, I make her call her, me pastor when we're in a car driving. And so... I don't. That would be super creepy. She actually prayed for me the other day and prayed for Pastor Corey. And I'm like, who are you talking about? This is creeping me out. Anyways, random. We drove past a liquor store and I'm like, how is it that liquor stores are essential services right now? And um, I thought that that was really odd and kind of funny. And, uh, and I said to Erin, I'm like, do you think that people are... Do you think that people are drinking more now than they were before? And she goes, absolutely, until the money runs out. And I thought, that's kind of sad. I'm talking about a different kind of drinking problem today from Gideon and from Gideon's army, and, and you're going to like it. Um, you're also going to love, we have a special Mother's Day virtual experience for you next week. You're going to want to come back next week. And I sent, I sent an email out to some moms in the church, uh, one of whom was my wife and the other two are staff members, and I didn't get a response, and now they've been voluntold that they're going to be it. So it's going to be great. They're going to be part of uh, something like a panel that we're going to do for Mother's Day. We're recording these ahead of time, of course. And so you are going to love that. Moms, come on out. Take a break from your kids. We have Venue Virtual for your kids to be watching so that you can take a break on Mother's Day. All right. Drinking problems. The whole, every time I hear the word drinking problems, I think to myself, I'm not saying that having drinking problems is good or anything like that. But when my friend was in high school, he was drinking a, a can of Pepsi or a can of water or something. A can of water. A bottle of water. Water came in cans back then. Whatever. Nobody's going to check up on me. Um, he was drinking and he spilled a bunch down the front of his shirt. And then he looks at me with wise old eyes, you know, in grade 11 or whatever. And he looks at me and he says, I've had a drinking problem ever since the war. <laughs> and I always, whenever I spill something down my shirt, I always think to myself, I've had a drinking problem ever, ever since the war. I always think that it's a little bit funny and I'm not making fun of people with drinking problems anyways, but that's just the sort of humor that we have around here. Hey, we know that your life is not perfect right now. We know that you're struggling with things, but let's come to the house of God with praise and let's also come with laughter because laughter is good medicine for the soul. Um, I think that you and I, we share the misconception that we will win the game by taking a shot that we can't make in practice. I think, it's a, I think it's a sickness. I think that you and I honestly think that a shot that we cannot make in practice will actually be able to hit in the big game. Um, my brother and I used to play some pickup basketball. Now, the difference was that my brother was talented and I was not. And, um, and my, my, I remember my brother looking at me, his name is Ryan, and he's normally at the receiving end of a lot of abuse from the pulpit. But um, he actually was a, a, quite a good athlete, and so I remember taking some shots in, in, in pickup games, and he would look at me and just be like, I know what he was thinking, like, you can't hit that shot. You're a 10 percenter on that shot on, on the practice floor with nobody on you. Well, you take just give me the ball. You know, that's what, what he's thinking to himself. But you and I, we have this idea that um, 
a shot we can't hit in practice. We will turn up in a big game and do well, which means like, uh, you know, I'm failing at all these little temptations that I face, but if I was ever faced with a big one, you know, like, oh, so-and-so had an affair with his secretary, and I would never do that, and yet that didn't start there. (laughs) Sorry, got all super heavy there, but you know, I mean, like, we're going to be big, you know, we're going to be good in a big financial uh, stress time. We're going to get it right, and yet we're not getting the little things right in the day-to-day, and we think to ourselves, like, I'm going to hit this shot in the game when I can't hit this shot in a practice. Um, or like, the, you know, if I ever had to tell the truth in a big moment where it cost me a lot, you know, on a presidential show, and I had to own something, and God's like, you tell little white lies to your kids all the time. You know, it's okay to lie about Santa and stuff, by the way. I, that's a little bit different. My daughter Katie figured out that Santa didn't exist when she was super young, and I didn't know what to do at the time, and so it worked out. Um, she said to me, she said, Dad, Santa doesn't exist, does he? And I'm like, because she's going to get a bunch of presents from, like, Santa, you know. And I'm like, oh, what do you mean? She goes, well, we don't have a chimney. <laughs> Fair enough. Neela still believes in Santa, and that's good. <laughs> that's good. All right. Um, see, the devil is going to try to focus you on the big moments out there. And so what he does is he gives you one of those, like, telescopes. So you, you see a big, you know, you, you, you live your whole life hoping for the big opportunity and the big moment way down the road. But what you should be doing is putting on the Holy Spirit's reading glasses so you can actually read what's going on in your life right now. And so you and I, we're trying to escape from this uh, 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 COVID, re- this new norm, this new reality, and yet there's a new norm that God wants you to hit with a spiritual reset in your life, with a family reset, with a financial reset, where you start thinking heaven's thoughts about it. And so what he wants you to do is put reading glasses on so you can discern the moment that you're in right now and not be distracted by what could be out there. So here's a thought I want you to, to get into your spirit today. It's this idea that how you do anything is how you do everything. You're like, no, it's not. I think that it is. How I do anything is how I do everything. Um, one of the guys that I used to work with said, he sent me a text one day saying, hey, I just drove past that we used to have a bulk station where we filled up all the fleet vehicles uh, at work. And he said, I just drove past so-and-so from the company filling up his motorbike on the weekend at the bulk station where there's like nobody there to take your money and the only card he had was a company card. And I'm thinking to myself, it's funny though, um, uh, his name was Kelly, the guy that I got the text from, because I mean immediately we're all thinking like, if you're, if you're stealing something from the company that you, the boss could literally drive by on the road and catch you doing, like you're stealing everything else too. You know what I mean? Like if you're doing things that you can get caught doing, you're doing all sorts of other things. There's all sorts of other things wrong with your life too that are not honest and that are not right. And I think this is a great time to hit a reset on some of these things. Um, um, <laughs> it's funny, the same guy, I was like, hey, can I borrow your knockout set? It was a very expensive set of you know, things that knock holes into big pieces of metal. I guess that would explain it to you. And, um, and so he's like, yeah, just grab my knockout set over there. And I, and I grabbed his knockout set, and it, it had uh, something, something electric written on it and then scratched out and then his name written underneath <laughs> it. And I'm like, your knockout set, eh? Okay, okay. Um, but listen, how you do anything is how you do everything. And so when I was running crews, I remember just the feeling that like, look, we've got to show up to work on time and we've got to only take the allotted lunch breaks and breaks and leave work on time. Like, I don't want to be like, you know, because if you teach people like to, to, to erase the line a little bit, then, then where do you stop? 
And so I remember being at one uh, big hotel that I was doing, and then I watched another crew that I had working up the road drive past me at three minutes till quitting time. And I remember looking out there, and all the guys in, in my area were like, uh-oh. And I picked up the phone, and I'm like, bro, <laughs> called the driver, like, where are you guys going? There's three minutes left on the clock. And he's like, it's not that big. I'm like, it's a big deal. Yeah. It's a big deal. How you do anything is how you do everything. And when the big sins in my life have happened, it never started as big sins. It always started as something very little. So I want you to start thinking about your life right now because you're going to find out that Gideon's 300 men beat uh, the, the enemy's 135,000 men. But these were 300 people that were different then you're going to find out that his army actually started a lot bigger today, but it actually shrunk to 300. But I'll tell you, 300 people who understand, who understand how important every little thing you do is, 300 of those kind of people can beat an army. And if God can change you in this time to a disciplined person, I'll tell you what, the next crisis, you won't be as afraid because you're going to come into it prepared, your heart is going to be strong, and you're, you're going to be that person that God wants you to be. All right. Um, Here's, here's, here's what I want to say. Lack of discipline causes your own people to have to defend against you. Yeah, that's right. Catch that. That's true. Discipline brings success, not talent. Yeah. Talent helps, but talented people who are undisciplined people have a lack of discipline. It causes your own people to have to defend against you. Let me give you another example about basketball. All right, I had a friend of mine named Graham. He lives in California right now. I'm super jealous. But he one time, and I think it was a junior high basketball game, he, I think, I don't know if they were just, uh, you know how you swap sides and then you're going towards the other end. It was junior high, so the level was not that high. He got so worked up one time that he, he got, broke free on a breakaway and, and scored a terrific uh, basket unassisted, but he scored it on his own end. And I remember talking to him after. I'm like, bro, you scored on the wrong, you scored on your own team. And he's like, I was so pumped, man, I had to score on something. <laughs> and I think to myself, that's how talented people who lack discipline are. Yeah. Now, if you grew up and you're a talented person, you were constantly told how talented you were. You're like, oh, you can do this. And you, yeah, if you're good at talking like me, man, you, you started thinking, I can talk my way out of things. And I'm more special than other people are. And if you're better at sports, then you don't have to live the same life as somebody else has to live who's not as smart but who has more discipline. But I'll tell you what, success in the end comes from discipline and not from talent. Talent helps, but talent can be used against your very own people if you don't have the discipline and the backbone that backs it up. Discipline brings success. See, discipline prevents your talent from being used against you. The disciplined will weather this crisis better than the rest of us will. They're disciplined. See, discipline, catch this, discipline removes the devil's ability to score on you. So no matter how talented you are, the devil can score more goals against you than you can score against him. I got into soccer now, that's what I'm thinking about. The devil can score way more against you than you can score against him no matter how talented you are in your life, but discipline keeps those goals, those, that ball out of your own net. It's like playing defense in your life. Discipline is this, the practice of training people. There's going to be a whole bunch of words in here because you're Canadian that you're not going to like. Ready? It's the practice of training people to obey a code of behavior using punishment to correct disobedience. 
there's three words in there you didn't like. <laughs> Obey, punishment, disobedience. Right. And you didn't like all the other ones, but you disliked those more than the other ones. All right. To obey a code of behavior using punishment to correct disobedience. But think about punishment and punishing disobedience in a good sense now. Because if you grew up in an abusive home, you won't understand how this is supposed to work and how good punishment works. Okay. Good punishment is when I exercise. I've just started doing these things called squats. The devil invented squats, I'm telling you what. But, but listen, punishment, I'm punishing my body. Aren't I? I'm tearing muscles, man. I'm, when I run on a treadmill, like treadmill running is so boring. I am punishing my body. I'm punishing my heart, but it's good for me. Catch this. When children obey their parents, they are punishing the part of them that doesn't want to obey. They're, when you don't eat candy, you're punishing. Come on now, we got some candyaholics here. I know that you're here in the studio. You are punishing your body, but you're making it healthy and you're making it strong. Now, I would rather that you married a disciplined person, if you're young and if you're single, or if you're just single, I would rather you married a disciplined person than a talented person or a good-looking person. I would rather you married a disciplined person because marriages and parenting and finances and businesses are built on discipline. They are built on people being able to depend that you're going to do what you said that you would do. That is what relationships are built on. See, our prayers often consume heaven's bandwidth, um, but if heaven would give you what you demand, it would actually wreck you. So you think about that. It, would, it is waiting for you to be faithful in what is little so that heaven can give you more. But you're asking for more. But if heaven gives you more before your faithfulness is ready for it, before your character is ready for it, it will destroy you. And it will hurt not just you now, but like if God gave you that hot wife that you want. But listen, God's like, man, you can't keep your eyes on what belongs to you right now. So I can give you a hot wife, but there's lots of hot girls out there. What? You're just going to, come on. And, and, and what happens is you're hurting yourself now with a lack of discipline or a lack of self-discipline. But what you need to understand is when you get your discipline right, then God can trust you with more. God can trust you with a wife. God can trust you with children. God can trust you with finances. God can trust you with a business. God can trust you with more friends. But until that discipline is there, man, heaven answering all of your demands is going to be the worst thing for you. It is waiting for you to be faithful in a little. And this is what we say sometimes. We're like, God, you know, give me a million dollars. And God's like, I gave you $10 yesterday, and you thought it was all for you. God, if you give me a million dollars, I'll give half of it to the church. And God's like, I gave you $10, and you spent every cent on, your, on tacos for you. Look, God's like, I give you $10, but you thought that it was all for you, and you didn't share it with the house of God, and you didn't share it with your neighbor, and you, and you thought that it was all about you. And it's like, God... You know, give me a man I can respect in everything because that's why I don't respect people. And God's like, there's something in him that you could respect right now, but you're not respecting him. So, so I, why would I give you more when, you're not, when you don't respect what you have? You know, there's something there that you could respect, but you're not pulling that out of him. You're not speaking that into him. Come on. And so why would I give you more if you're not appreciating what you have right there? Maybe it's not the man in your life that's the problem. I just got to do that for guys because guys don't stick up for each other all that much. 
We're just glad when it's not us getting heck for something. Um, here's another one. God, give me a new car. And God's like, you didn't drive that old car to church. Like, why would I give you a new car to go where, you know? Um, God, give me a bigger house. And God's like, man, you don't have enough friends to put in a house. So, like, if you get involved in a small group, in a virtual Zoom small group right now, I'll give you a bigger house so that you can put a small group in there, but you don't have enough friends and you would feel all empty if I gave you a bigger house and I don't want to give you a bigger house for that. All right. If the Holy Spirit can't order your small steps, he can't put you in an army and you'll never accomplish that much. All you'll do is a little bit here and there, but you'll never have that legacy of your life that you could look back at and be like, we did something that mattered on a big scale. If you are undisciplined, God can't make you part of an army because armies are extremely disciplined. Let's dig into the life of Gideon right now. All right, Judges chapter 6 and verse 33. Soon afterwards, the armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east formed an alliance against Israel and crossed the Jordan, camping in the valley of Jezreel. Now, I don't know, with, with all of this that's going on in the economy and all of this going on in health and, and everything that's happening in your life right now, it feels like people are ganging up on, against you right now. And so I think this is very applicable to our lives. It says this, Then the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. I'll tell you what, when the Spirit of God calls you to do something, he'll clothe you with the power to do it. Sometimes we're waiting for God to give us the power that we don't need till we step out. But I'll tell you, when God calls you, be strong. Look, if God is calling you, if God is calling you to, to figure out what's going on in your teenager's room, Man, dig in there because God will clothe you with power. Do not be afraid of your children. Do not be afraid of digging into relationships and making sure that they honor God or getting things right or getting things out into the open. I'm telling you that. Um, now it says, he blew a ram's horn as a call to arms. This would be their trumpet of the, of the day. And the men of the clan of Abiezer came to him. So he, so he risked a lot and he got out there and he said something and he called people to himself. It said, he also sent messengers throughout Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, other tribes of Israel, and Naphtali, summoning their warriors. All of them responded. Now, he had to do something. You have to understand, because they've been slaves to the Midianites for seven years in most regards, psychologically, he had to overcome a huge barrier to stick his neck out there. Um, when we did Easter drive-in some weeks ago, you may not know this, but we had to stick our necks out to do it. Even though we had the backing of Alberta Health and stuff, like there was a huge, like there was a huge amount of fear, and we didn't get a lot of support from a lot of people who could have helped us get that off the ground. Now, Venue Church are a little bit different, and I like that. Um, and I love that. Come on. Um, but he had to stick his neck out there. Now, nobody with an enemy as powerful as this is going to stick their neck out there. And so Gideon had to do something that, that other people were unwilling to do. You have to understand, you have to be willing to do what you've been, uh, you have to be willing to do what you've been unwilling to do up till this point. In Judges chapter 7, it says, so Jeroboam, uh, that is Gideon, remember his name means let Baal defend himself because he tore down Baal's altar. And he said, Gideon and his army got up early now, some of y'all, I'm just going to say, you're sleeping in. You need to get up early. You feel, my dad told me something a long time ago. He's like, when you sleep in, you feel guilty. And then you feel guilty the rest of the day. And then you probably treat people like you're feeling guilty. And I'm just saying, even if there's nothing to do, get up and find something to do. Get up early. Um, that was just for free. <laughs> That's for your teenagers, too. And went as far as the spring of Herod. The, the armies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. So the Lord said to Gideon, listen to this, you have too many warriors with you. And Gideon's like, what? Yeah. 
So there's 135,000 in the army of the enemy, and he's got 32,000 with him. Catch this, catch this. It's four to one odds against him, and God's like, you got too many, too many people with you. I don't like these odds. And Gideon's like, I don't like these odds, but for the, the complete opposite reason. And, he's, and he goes, um, listen, this is what happens when God asks you to do something that's way beyond you. Because you're like, but God, you know, I can only do 15 push-ups. And God's like, I can do like millions of them. So <laughs> who's strengthened it? You know, if it's my idea, who's going to give you the strength? Yeah, no, I got it. You're tiny. I get it. You're afraid. And I get it. I'm not asking you to do something in your own strength. I will be with you. Remember last sermon. Um, you have too many warriors with you. I mean, sometimes, listen, sometimes, sometimes I feel like it's like you got too many dollars in your bank account. Sure. You got too much stuff. You got too much stuff in your house. You're too distracted with stuff. You've forgotten why you he- exist as a human. Yeah. You forgot that you're only here to connect with God and connect with people and your stuff and the dollars in your bank account and, and all the extra things in your life are actually keeping you from connecting with God and people. If you die and you're not connected with God and people, who cares? Yeah. Like nobody, nobody on their deathbed is like, I wish I would have collected more teapots. Like, oh my goodness, there's just five more that I needed to complete my, I mean, it's connection with God and connection with people. Um, he says this, if I let all of you fight the Midianites, already four to one odds against them, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Listen, the last job you got, it was a miracle and you ought to know it by now. Come on now. And there was 10 better people than you to get that interview and somehow God gave it to you and then you walk out of the office and you're like, seriously now, God is your God and he loves you and that's why he gave you the wife that you don't deserve. Let's hear an amen down there, amen. All right. Therefore, tell the people, now this is tricky, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. Now remember, remember, I'd rather have three, Gideon's like the man of steel. He's like, I'd rather have 300 people with steel in their spine than 32,000 puppies to fight the Midianite army. I need some real men with me. God's like, I need some real men and some real daughters of heaven with me who are... There's a discipline in, in how much fear you allow yourself to feel. That's right. So quit you're telling yourself all the time. Quit telling yourself like, oh, I'm just afraid and it's just how I am and I'm just being honest. Yeah, there's a part where you've got to be honest, but there's this other part where David's like, and yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no. No. You think that you're afraid in this crisis. These people, man, if... If they lose to this army, they're all going to die and their wives and kids are going to be taken and who knows what is going to happen to them. So don't talk to me about fear. Gideon's like, no, no, no. There's a thing about fear that will prune you back out of the army. You have got to be disciplined in how you think about fear and how you allow yourself to feel fear. You've got to be honest, but you've got to be disciplined and bring that fear to God because perfect love casts out fear and God is not afraid of your circumstance and God is not afraid of your marriage and God is not afraid of your financial situation. He's got a plan and he had the plan before you were born. And all we need to do is give this, our lives into the hand of God because he cannot protect what he cannot possess. All right, that's for free. All right, so, so 22,000 go home. So it went from four to one odds against to 14 to one odds against. But sometimes in your company, you're better to have five people who want to work than 10 people who don't. I'm just saying. There's a principle that you need to understand here. 
He says, but the Lord told Gideon, there are still too many. And Gideon's like, <laughs> He says, bring them down to the spring and I will test them. Well, we don't like God testing us all together too much, do we? I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. Um, there's an idea of pruning that's happening in our society right now, but there's also an idea of pruning that always happens in a kingdom mentality in a kingdom of heaven. So pruning, listen, a band of slaves need not be pruned, but a band of warriors need be pruned. But a million slaves never beat anybody who still think like slaves. All they are good at is what slaves are good at, and all slaves do is complain about everything. Slaves don't beat armies, but soldiers beat armies. And... Uh, says Gideon took his warriors down to the water. The Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all those who cup water in their hands. So get this picture. Cup water in their hands. I should do an illustration, but I would spill all all over my stuff. Um, Cup water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. And I studied the Hebrew and it meant lap it up with their tongues like dogs. (laughs) So catch that. Put one group who who drink water like that, put them over here. And in the other group, put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. So, so if, if you're thirsty and you're with, a bunch of, uh, you're with a bunch of guys who don't really care how they look and you go to the stream, now you got to understand that, that um, it says only 300 of the men drank from their hands, like dogs, um, while well, all the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. Why, you can get a lot more water in, but there's this idea here of another layer of discipline too that's like, look, all y'all, if you want to get on your faces there, but I'd rather make sure that you don't get shot in the back. So I'm going to, there's an idea of vigilance. There's an idea of I can do with less if it makes us safer. There's this idea of like, I I don't care how much money I've got if my neighborhood's got none. There's this idea of I don't care how how much food I have if I can't feed the poor in other countries. Like I don't care, no, I'm going to go with less so that maybe maybe there's a, a bigger question to ask here. It says only 300 out of 10,000 were cautious like that. 300 out of 10,000 were maybe the leaders of the bunch. 300, but what God can do with 300 men of steel. Oh, I'm telling you, what God can do with 300 women of steel. Change a nation. The Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the other ones home. So (laughs) Gideon's like, are you sure? I would be like, yes, but I'm going to get that word confirmed by... 15 other people who also will be in the same battle, Lord, because I feel like you made me keep the wrong group. Um, So it went from four to one odds against to 14 to one odds against, meaning every man in that army, I'm going to have to beat 14 guys to break even. Now I have to beat 450 men. One, every man's got to be 450 men to break even. And if I'm beside Joe Schlub here, who can't swing a sword, I got to pick up his 450. I'm telling you. But then it says this, so Gideon collected the provisions and ram's horns of the other warriors and sent them home, but he kept the 300 men with him. This is also a pruning process too, meaning you don't need all that stuff if you're not going to do anything with it. Right? Right? Well, let's take the talent from the one who buried it and let's give it to the person who's got 10 talents. Because God's like, because the souls of men matter more than all the money that you made in your company last year and you did a lot to make that money in your company, but I would do a lot to save one soul. 
I would give my, the life of my son to save one soul. And anybody who would be willing to invest that, and anybody who would be willing to give their lives to that purpose, and anybody who would be willing to do that, let's give them more provisions because they're worth it. Because they're going to take this provision and they're going to change the world around them. I love it. He's collected the provisions. He kept the 300 men with him and then says this, the Midianite camp was in the valley just below Gideon. Now next week I'm going to tell you how that battle went down. And it's actually not next week because next week is Mother's Day. But uh, when we come back, I'm going to close this whole sermon off. I'm going to tell you how Gideon had a weird dream. Don't read ahead in your Bibles. Just wait for me to get there, okay? That's being tricky because now you're going to read ahead in your Bibles and I just tricked you into reading your Bibles. But how Gideon heard a man who had a weird dream and how it gave him the confidence. And there's something in that dream that he heard that will mean nothing to you, but it meant everything to him. And I'm not going to preach that right now, and you can't make me. And you're going to see how 300 men of steel beat 135,000 of the enemy with the help of their God. My big idea today is this. There's no... Just big things in your life. Your life is made up of a lot of little things. And how you do anything is how you do everything. And God is waiting for you to be faithful in what is little so that he can give you more. And if you won't pour out what he's given you in your hand now, why would he pour more in? But when you pour it out, then he pours more in. And you become a conduit of blessing to the people around you. And God gives more blessing to you. And you actually live on the byproduct of the conduit that blesses other people. It's a powerful thing in your life. Colossians 3 says this, uh, Paul says, work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Now, I know, moms, that you're stuck at home with your kids right now, and I know that you might not have all the kids that you started with. (laughs) I get it. We had small kids at one time. What I want to say is, when you change that diaper, just imagine that Mary is changing the diaper of Jesus. Now, your baby's not Jesus, and you know that. (laughs) But I'm telling you, it says, whatever you do, work as if you're doing it for the Lord. I know that some of you have hard bosses and harsh bosses, and, and, but listen, listen, and I've had my share too. We need to work for them as if we're working for the Lord. There's something about it in the discipline of your heart that's like, I need to serve my dad who's not perfect like I'm serving the Lord. I need to have this excellence about me as if I'm serving the Lord. I need to obey my I need to help my, I need to serve my, as if I'm serving the Lord, as if God was in the room. I need every word that I speak to be like, there's a God in the room that I, I need every emotion that I feel to honor the God who's in the room with me. Sometimes we let ourselves off with a lot of bad emotional things. They're called emotional decisions, everybody. They're called emotional decisions, and you need to quit calling it honesty. You're just being a big jerk. And I'll bet you that if God was in the room, you wouldn't say that to your child. And I'll bet you if God was in the room, you wouldn't roll your eyes in an argument. Listen, there are no small things. What little thing do you do that might indicate a heart problem that's much bigger? Okay, let me, you're sitting there and you're all self-righteous and you're like, oh no, I don't do this thing. Yeah, well, people have to live with you. Here, what kind of face do they live with when they look at your face? Is your face, does it look pleasant? I'm asking. How you do anything is how you do everything. Are you pleasant? How much energy do you put into communication with the people around you? Mm 
Like you stop and you listen to them, like you really listen to them, and you wait till they finish, and then you, or do you just kind of walk away too soon? Seriously, like how promptly do you return texts from your pastor when I text you? (laughs) How promptly do you do that? I'll bet you if the Lord texted you, you'd return it to him. Now, I'm not saying you have to respond to every text, but I'm saying there are people in your life, your friends and your family, that you need to show a lot more respect to. How you do anything is how you do everything, and you keep bending God's ear down to give you more, but God's like, you won't do with what I gave you. So I can't actually give you more because you would hurt more people with the more that I give you. How many tiny tasks? Here's a good one. My dad taught me this. How many tiny tasks do you... This is all like alliteration. How many tiny tasks do you triple handle? I should have come up with another T there. That would have been four. <laughs> How many tiny tasks do you triple handle? Like you procrastinate that thing and then you have to handle it and then you have to look at it again and then your kids have to watch you walk by that thing again and then you have to, and then you have to, and that piece of paper's been sitting on your desk for four months and every time you see it, you feel a little bit guilty and then you get mad at somebody else who's not. Yeah, yeah. Wow. How many times do you triple handle tasks that you could just take five minutes and sure. get off your plate? My dad taught me, he said 80% of things you can deal with right then, deal with them. It's called discipline. Just deal with them and get them off your plate so you're not thinking about them anymore. Hmm. Hmm. I got, I got people in my life, and I want you to be one of these people. Whether I know you or not, and whether you're going to be this to me, I have sticky note people in my life. And I, I have a desk, and I have sticky notes, and I hate paper, so the paper's super small, and I only write one thing on each one most of the time. And I make lists of things to do that are on sticky notes. And so I put my sticky note on my desk, and sometimes I'll have like as many as seven, but it never gets more than that because I'm a pretty disciplined person, and when it does, I start stressing out, and then I'm like, I have to do some of this because it's driving me crazy. And so... Sticky note people. When I'm like, we should do this in the church, and I write it on a sticky note, and if a person's name is on that sticky note, and I send them an email about the thing, certain people, I know that as soon as I send the email or the text or phone call about it, I can take the sticky note and open the garbage and throw it in there because it gets done every single time. And then there's other people in my life that are not sticky note people, that I could look at that thing and send them 30 texts, and it's still not going to happen because there's a disciplinedness about some people. And when you're a disciplined person and God says, hey, go tell your wife that you love her. Can he take the sticky note and throw it in the garbage or is he gonna have to tell you again by the Holy Spirit the next morning that you wake up when you didn't do what he said the first time? And you're like, well, God, she should respect me more. And he's like, you should respect me more and go tell her that you love her even when she doesn't deserve it. How about that? Because that's what I'm doing right now to you. Do you simplify things or do you complicate things? Some of y'all have a gift of complication. Here's another one. Do you remove drama when you enter a room or do you bring it with you? Like everybody was getting along and all of a sudden you're here and oh my goodness, what just happened? Come on, can I hear it from dramatic people? Here's something God showed me about drama. There are healthier ways to get drama than fighting with everybody all the time. Y'all should be laughing, but you're not laughing. Oh, you're going to talk about me when I'm gone off your screen today. You're going to be like, oh, can you believe what the pastor just said about that? Yeah, I'm talking to you. There are healthier ways to get attention from people, like asking for it. Now, if you didn't grow up in a healthy home and the only attention you ever got was when you pretended to be sick or when you started a fight about something stupid, listen, there's healthier ways in the family of God to get attention. Ask somebody for it. 
hey, you can start a fight, but that takes pride. It takes humility to be like, hey, can we just spend some time together? I'm feeling a little bit left out. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then you can't, you know, prance around as if you're some, like, God, the three, you know, God three in one in your home when you're not. You're just like a little insecure and you just need to spend a little time with your spouse or you just need to spend a little time with your mom. It's okay, but ask for it. Why create a whole bunch of drama when you just need a little face-to-face time? Some of us are so afraid of rejection, we act like idiots because any attention is better than no attention. But listen, don't make them reject you by acting in a way that would make them reject you. Come on now. Do you add drama or do you take it away? Do you make things simpler? Do you make things hard? This has, this discipline has to do with honor. Honor. We live in a society that withholds honor, but I'll tell you this, God withholds honor from those who withhold it. And honor has nothing to do with the other person and everything to do with me. And here's what I know about honor. God wants to give me honor, but I only reap what I sow. And I don't mean that you go and trust somebody and give them a bunch of money to invest for you. No, that's respect and that's trust and that's a whole different thing. But when I give honor to somebody that God puts in my life or my teacher at school or my boss at work or my spouse, when I give honor, I'm giving it away so that God can bring it back. But if I refuse and withhold honor from somebody and if I'm undisciplined in small things, I'm talking about conversations now. When you roll your eyes in conversation, God's like, I can't give you honor, man. That is dishonor. And when you, when you don't respond when you know that you ought to respond and if you would just discipline yourself to do it and if you would just do the things asked of you by your boss, you know that God would be able to give honor to you. Listen, next week I'm talking about dreams and the dream that God gave you. Discipline is what dreams are built on. Discipline is what dreams are built on. God can give you a dream. God can give you the power to fulfill it. But if you're not disciplined, you won't keep it. Discipline is the part, our gift to God. And the dream is God's gift to us. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person here that we would tighten up our lives, tighten up our discipline. We have all these stories that we tell ourselves about why we don't do what's right when it's time to do what's right. And I pray, Father, I just repent on behalf of all of us today. And I say, I do this as much as anybody. And I need to just stop telling myself the story that makes that okay. And I need to sow honor so that I can reap honor. And I need to actually do things that are expected of me in a timely fashion, in a respectful fashion, Lord, and take the drama out of the room and make things less complicated when I enter the room. I pray, Father, for a deep-hearted humility in us that comes through the discipline so that we quit telling ourselves that we're special, we're more special than everybody else, and we don't have to do what everybody else has to do on a day-to-day basis. That is not true. We are all children of God, and we all ought to act like it every day. And I pray, Father, you forgive us and cleanse us in Jesus' name. Amen.